Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers, Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, so this past weekend was when, you know, Tenant came out and Mulan came out. Uh, both are, you know, being released in unprecedented ways during unprecedented times. There's, you know, not all the movie theaters are open for for Tenant, and there's a global pandemic. And with Mulan, it's being released on this whole new premium VOD service that's part of Disney Plus for $40. So I, I guess the question, H.C., is how did they do? Like, how, how did they fare? Respectively, um, Tenet opened in the U.S., as you said, uh, after opening overseas earlier. And it opened in 2,810 American theaters, where it raked in $20.2 million over the five-day Labor Day weekend. It's not breaking any records. Uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween currently holds Labor Day weekend um, box office crown with $30.5 million, but it's still a decent number, even if the movie didn't exceed box office expectations at its, as it did last week with its overseas opening. And um, the Forbes notes that um, Warner Brothers hopes this, is, this will be more of a marathon than a sprint in terms of the usual box office uh, grosses. Usually they're front-loaded and we see more until there's a drop-off. And uh, Warner Brothers is hoping that as Tenet continues to screen in for the next four to 12 weeks, audiences will begin to check out the movie at a slower pace with um, a more consistent uh, box office haul. So uh, Forbes uh, estimates that Tenet will end its run with a $480 million worldwide uh, box office haul, which would allow Warner Brothers to break even and justify its very weird uh, release strategy, especially in the U.S. Hmm. It still sounds a little low for a Christopher Nolan movie, right? Like it is low, but considering the circumstances yeah. within, within in which it opened, it's um, it's decent. Okay, so what about Mulan? I know Disney has not released any numbers officially, so it's hard to 
get get a sense of it, but we have some kind of vision of how well it's doing? Yeah, we don't have any official numbers yet, but according to Sensor Tower, an app download research firm, downloads of Disney Plus, the app itself, spiked 68% from Friday, September 4th through Sunday, September 6th, um, compared to the last weekend before. And that's this is the weekend that Mulan was released on Disney Plus. And um, according to Sensor Tower again, Consumer spending in Disney Plus also spiked 193%, which means a lot of those new subscribers were paying for that $30 premium fee, or at least a few of them were. Um, but it's only jumped um, according, uh, like in comparison to how much the app downloads jumped after Hamilton was released. Uh, they Disney Plus downloads were a little bit higher, but that's mostly because the Hamilton was free to stream versus Mulan being a premium purchase. So, you know, 1.12 million homes supposedly rented Mulan or bought Mulan. It's it's a weird like is it a buy or I guess you you own it forever on Disney Plus as long as you're playing paying for Disney Plus, right? Yes, exactly. It is a buy. It's not just a rent because it it stays yeah. within your like movie library after you buy it the first time. So th- they're estimating that Mulan made thirty three point five million over this weekend. So did Disney win out in this whole tenant versus Mulan, like the the approach of the pandemic? I guess if you're looking at just the straight numbers, although we don't yeah. really know the exact concrete numbers yet for Mulan, but um, yeah. yeah, if you're looking at it, then yes, uh, Disney would have won out in this case. And it's interesting because Tenet and Mulan were both kind of hand in hand, neck and neck in terms of which movie would be released first in theaters this summer and Mulan just went straight to the streaming route um, or rather the premium streaming route. So it seems like that strategy um, worked out for Disney. I'm curious if Warner Brothers is right, because like you said, usually a movie makes like one third of its box office in opening weekend. But that's not how it always used to be. You know, that's not how it always was. It was like a more <laughs> like a, a longer a longer race mm-hmm. and it was spread out over many more weeks and maybe maybe this will happen and and this <laughs> maybe maybe we're going back in time because of this pandemic so it'll be interesting to to see how that uh shakes out and also i'm i'm curious how piracy is going to affect this movie because obviously i'm sure there's at this point probably very good copies of this online especially with it being released many a uh, couple weeks ago in uh international territories so yeah um okay let's move on let's talk about the godfather part three it's getting re-edited from director francis ford coppola chris what do we know uh yes so the godfather part three is infamous for being the least loved entry in the godfather series and uh now it's it's getting a re-release with um, a new recut version and a new title and this is the full title <clears throat> Mario <laughs> Mario Puzo's The Godfather, comma, Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. That is the the full title of the hmm. the re-release. Um and Coppola has gone back and and recut the film. It's not really clear how extensively the recuts are going to be and also it's also not clear how those, you know, those edits, the, those trims and stuff are going to make this film <laughs> better because a lot of the, the faults of the film lie in performances so i, I don't you know uh you know all, all yeah no, no, notably his daughter sofia coppola plays like one of the roles who it was supposed to be played by 
Winona Ryder? Yes. Am yeah. I correct about that? Yeah. yeah. And then so, she dropped out. Yeah. She dropped and, out at the last minute. Yeah. All due respect to Sofia Coppola, she was not really a trained actress. And Winona Ryder dropped out at sort of like the last minute. And Francis Ford Coppola was like, why don't you do it? And so she sort of took the role without really <laughs> auditioning for it or studying for it. And, you know, as good as a filmmaker as Sofia Coppola is, she is not a very good actress. So her performance in the film is very uh, bad. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I doubt Francis Ford Coppola is like, I'm going to cut all of my daughter's scenes out of this movie. I don't think that's going to happen. So we're just going to have to see how it turns out. Do you think that any alternate cut of this film could save the movie? You know, I, I I'm one of those people who does who thinks um, Godfather Part Three really isn't as bad as people say it is. I mean, it's it's definitely not great. It has problems. Um, you know, it's definitely the worst of all three films. But I do think there are things in this film, mostly involving like uh, a scandal in the Vatican, which is based on. Uh, a true story and i it's pretty cool and i think al pacino's performance is actually really good so i I do think there are things in this movie that deserve some credit so maybe uh, you know a a new cut of it will actually fix things i don't really know yeah well that title feels like it was made up by an old man who has no sense of how people talk about things on social media and doesn't care about that whatsoever (laughs) um I mean, Francis Ford Coppola, notably, like he's like George Lucas. He likes to keep on going back and like, like how many cuts of The Godfather are there? Like, isn't there like a cut that's like of all three movies in chronological order? Um, there's a cut he did. Uh, I forget what the title is, but it's it's the first two films. Oh, it's the first two. Films. He like re-edited it in a way because you know the first the the second film jumps back and forth in time, and uh, so th- this cut like rearranges the entire chronology and and stuff like that so there are different cuts like that yeah yeah Uh, okay let's uh let's move on to something uh i think last week or maybe the week before we saw this photo online of someone that looked like borat like sasha baron going like he was driving a truck or a car and we're like are they filming a new borat movie is this like a new sketch what is going on here and it turns out yesterday we learned that Borat 2 has already been filmed and already been screened. Ben, wh- what is going on here? Yeah, Borat 2 is coming. Uh, we don't really know when it's going to come or if it's going to be in theaters or what platform it's going to be on. But uh, a report late last night said that Borat 2 actually does exist. It has been shot and completed and screened already for a select few industry types. Um, full plot details are still a little scarce, but the general sort of like loose premise is that Borat is, is uh, you know, the character played by Sasha Baron Cohen is no longer the little known Kazakh TV personality that he played in the original 2006 movie. The public knows who he is now, so he has to go undercover to interview people. And that sort of lines up with not only the, um, the sighting that you mentioned, Peter, where people actually saw, you know, Cohen as Borat in costume, but some of the other sightings that have been going on uh, throughout this year where people have spotted Sasha Baron Cohen dressed up as other characters, um, you know, pulling pranks. Like there's this moment where that we wrote about on the site where he crashed an alt-right militia group rally and led the group in a racist sing-along. Um, <laughs> he didn't look like Borat in, in that uh, footage or in that instance, but I guess the, the premise here is that that is going to be part of 
the movie and that it, it was like Borat going undercover to sort of keep his identity <laughs> in check, which I guess makes sense because the the first Borat movie was such a big deal, uh, you know, in 2006 when that came out, it made, you know, over $260 million and, and was like a, a very, very big zeitgeisty kind of thing that like the character of Borat, if you just saw him walking down the street, um, it you know now in in the wake of the success of that movie it doesn't have the same surprise effect that it did you know back in the in the 2006 days so uh yeah here there you have it borat 2 is uh is going to be coming out at some point yeah i was kind of wondering about that because it's not like you know that film was such a huge international success that it it kind of feels like nobody would be fooled by that character but i guess if he's under disguise I I feel like nobody would be fooled by Sasha Baron Cohen in like a costume, but they had that HBO show a couple years back, and it seemed like many people, many big people, were fooled by that. Uh, do we know anything about the plot? Uh, so, in addition to just like him being undercover, uh, the film stage actually reported that uh, Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein's relationship is going to be touched on in this movie. So that ought to be fun. Uh, and the coronavirus also figure into the main narrative somehow. There's going to be cam- uh, cameos from Mike Pence, Rudy Giuliani, and some other people. And uh, evidently, there's there's at least one cameo that could potentially derail a political career. So I, I don't know exactly what that involves. Um, you know, it's sort of like mm. tantalizingly vague at this point. Uh, we do know that the movie evidently has a, a title, which I'm guessing is going to end up being some sort of subtitle. Um, and that is Great Success. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's about all of the like hard, you know, concrete details that we have at this moment. There has been some speculation that because of like the, the Trump Epstein connection and some of the other themes and, and content in this movie, that it might be made available to audiences before the 2020 presidential election, which would be in, you know, under two months. But um, so far, no release date or even like release platform has been revealed yet. Yeah, it seems like the perfect thing for like a premium VOD or like HBO Max or something like that. Um, Okay, let's talk about some news that hit last night. Uh, This is some pretty big news. The Academy is kind of changing the eligibility of the Best Picture Oscar. H.T., tell us about it. Yes, the Academy has introduced a new set of inclusion standards for um, movies hoping to be eligible for the Best Picture Oscars. And this is part of its Academy Aperture 25 initiative, which include new inclusion and representation standards that will um, that films hoping to be nominated for Best Picture must pass two of the four of. So there are four total standards um, with other sort of subsets in, uh, inside those standards. Um, and all films that are hoping to be nominated for Best Picture must meet two, at least two of them. Um, so the standards include... Uh, On-screen representation, themes, and narrative, two. Creative leadership and project team, three. Industry access and opportunities, and four. Audience development. So, um, yeah, it's just two of the four of these. So that means that a film that perhaps maybe not doesn't have much representation on screen could have someone who is a uh, project head of the marketing department, for example, and that would allow them to ha- to sort of pass through those standards. So it's still kind of, it's still something that studios, like, I feel like they won't change the uh, films all that much or impact the films all that much, but it will perhaps allow, um, encourage studios to start hiring more diversity, people of color, women um, behind the scenes, at least. 
yeah, like one of these things is saying that um, one of the uh, four things is a lead or significant supporting actor. At least one of the leads or significant uh, supporting actors needs to be from an underrepresented or ethnic group. That could include Asian, Hispanic, Black, uh, Indigenous, uh, Middle Eastern, uh, Native Hawaiian, or other underrepresented uh, race or ethnicity. Some people are freaking out online, HD. So, like, I got to ask you the devil's advocate question here. Of will this force diver- diversity in stories that we don't quote unquote need it? <laughs> I honestly don't think so because I think studios will try to will basically bypass um, a lot of these like the on screen representation standards by putting people of color or people or more representation um, in creative leadership and department positions such as you know casting directors, directors, hairstylists and if they fall under those categories then it's pretty easy for them to just kind of you know do for example a marriage story which is you know very like white director and white <laughs> white cast um, and was a critical darling at last year's Oscars and um, they for example had a um, I think they had uh, I did uh, diverse production uh, departments, for example. So I think it they, like these kind of films that people are you know up in arms about losing their uh, integrity or whatever uh, will still you know pass pass through the guidelines. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but some people would say, HD, they'd be like. You're forcing Noah Baumbach to hire people of color. Is that like hey, he 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 doesn't want to work with them? HD. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> then it, yeah. to to those uh, people, way, I, I mean, say whatever. Yeah. By the way, with this devil's advocate uh, round of questioning, I want to be clear. I am totally being facetious, and I, I totally support this. So uh, I, I'm just trying to get get to the answer there. I, I, I think you're right. I think we're not going to see much of a change in terms of, like, the story or the characters of films. Like, I really don't think this is going to push us in that direction. It, it, studios, sadly, are probably just going to find loopholes in terms of the production staff and stuff like that, which I guess is still good. Yeah. It's still good, a win-win. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, more that's people not come hired. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, also, <laughs> recently we, we saw this photo uh, from the director of Mission Impossible 7. It's the, the first day of photography, and it shows this insane ra- ramp. What is going on here, Chris? Uh, yes, this is a ramp built onto a mountain whose name I will not pronounce, but it's in it's in Norway. So it's a it's it's a it's a mountain with a name that I I freely admit I can't pronounce correctly. So I'm not even going to try. Um, but it's a big old ramp, and it's on the side of this mountain. And- Wait, Chris, I think you're doing disservice to like this ramp. You need to like for people who cannot see this photo, can you kind of like describe? How big and long and huge this ramp is. Oh man. I mean it's <laughs> no, I can't do just it's 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 it literally looks like the side of like a roller coaster has been like split in half and put on the side of a mountain. Um it, it, it's huge basically. And uh the reason it exists is because Tom Cruise is going to ride either it's either a motorcycle or a dirt bike. I can't really tell based on the, the footage that's out there, but it's some sort of motorized bike and he's riding it off this ramp at which point he then deploys a parachute because obviously the the motorcycle can't fly we haven't gotten to that point yet in the mission impossible franchise so uh, 
the you know um mission impossible 7 was supposed to start shooting uh, a little while ago but of course it wasn't able to due to the coronavirus but now they're they're finally getting to work and and they're shooting in in norway and tom cruise has already driven a motorcycle off off a cliff four times i believe i read that it, it, he did this four times in a row for the scene wow uh okay now while, while looking at this photo chris i wonder to myself like how does this fit into the movie because like this doesn't seem like something that could logically be in this location like it doesn't seem like we'll see this ramp in the movie yeah i'm not really sure what (laughs) i mean yeah because they obviously they built the ramp for this scene like the ramp's not just always there so i don't really know why (laughs) so are they just trying to get the footage of him driving flying on on a motorcycle and then and then like uh you know uh igniting the or what what do you call that <laughs> where you're letting go deploying, of the parachute deploying deploying yes that's the word i was looking for i guess but i feel like they could have done this in an easier way than than building a gigantic <laughs> ramp and then driving a motorcycle off that ramp so there's got to be some reason the ramp is, is there other than launching tom cruise into the air i would encourage anybody listening to this podcast that has not seen this picture to go to the show notes, click on over to the slash film story because it is comical. I'm not, is that Tom Cruise on the ramp or is that just a random crew member? Do we know? I mean, I'm going to guess it's him, but it, it might not be him standing there, but it would be, I mean, it looked, it, it could be very well an ant yes. like from like, it's, it's comical. Yeah. How huge this is. Um, you, you mentioned that the coronavirus delayed the production of mission impossible seven, and uh, the, the the virus is delaying the production of the Batman as well. And there's actually kind of a twist to the story. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah. So last week, uh, the Batman, which is the movie that's being directed by Matt Reeves, that just showcased its first uh, footage at uh, DC Fandom. Um, basically, the Batman has to, had to shut down production. So Warner Brothers said last week that a member of the Batman production team had uh, tested positive for COVID-19 and is isolating in accordance with established protocols. Filming is temporarily paused. So that was, um, you know, the, the sort of the first round of the news. And then uh, subsequently, Vanity Fair reported that it actually turns out that Robert Pattinson himself is the member of the Batman production team that tested positive for COVID-19. So uh, the star of the movie is uh, has COVID. So that's um, <sighs> not geez. what you want to hear, certainly. And uh uh, yeah, man, th- this is uh, this is rough news. So um, I-, I don't know. I-, I haven't heard anything. This, uh, this happened last Thursday. Uh, I haven't heard any updates on like how he's doing or anything um, since then. So I-, I mean, certainly we wish him well. But uh, Jesus Christ, this is like <laughs> you know not something that you want to hear. Yeah, I-, I guess my big question is: I-, I have a lot of filmmaker friends, and I talk with them about all the changes that are going on with COVID and like how they have to have a person on set and how they're like having to manage all the production and it seems like it all is well i mean it's to keep everybody safe but it you can clearly see that there's a bubble around the big talent of a film that like nobody can kind of come near them it's it's very to protect like you know the person that's gonna be on screen for 90 percent of the movie they, they they definitely cannot afford to have that person get sick so i guess my question to you ben is like we're seeing you know uh, our Pat get, got sick. We we saw The Rock and his family got sick. Like, why are 
all these actors who should be the ones being, you know, the most protected on these sets. Like, how are they getting sick? Yeah, I think the, the situation with The Rock was like, um, I guess he had like family friends or something that were in his COVID bubble. And one of the family friends got it and they they sort of passed it along to The Rock's family. So I, I read that he was like, you know, he's he was saying that like those friends were like horrified that they, you know, endangered The Rock's life. And like, yeah, obviously this was just a big accident. Um, in terms of like the Batman and Robert Pattinson, I'm not sure exactly how this happened. The, the only thing I can think of, Peter, and this is like, this is sort of going to sound like um, like victim blaming a little bit, but <laughs> I, I wonder how much of it has to do with just a um, uh, sense that maybe some actors have of like, oh, well, like, you know, maybe the rules don't always apply to me kind of thing. Like it's, it's okay if I like just run down to the corner store and grab a pack of cigarettes or something like that. I don't need to like, you know, go through the exact proper channels to, to make something like that happen. And I say that because like, I remember when um, I think it was the NBA was starting their whole bubble process. And like one of the players just like went to grab a sandwich or something or pick up delivery from like a delivery guy. And like, you know, there are protocols in place that don't allow you to do that. So because he did that, he had to quarantine for two weeks and and like miss playing time and stuff like that. So that's the sort of correlation that I'm drawing where it's just like maybe mindless or maybe just like, ah, oh, it's, it's fine. Like I can just do this one yeah. thing real quick. And then that ends up being, you know, that moment where you let your guard down ends up being um, something that that sort of like lets the thing sneak in. So it's it's um, you know in, in no way am I trying to like despair yeah, yeah, yeah. Pattinson here. I'm just trying to like come up with a reason for why because like you said, there's so many protections in place for these big actors. But um, you know, in, in terms of like how this could be happening, maybe that's one potential reason. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. So how long do we think this is going to delay the production? I mean, I guess. It... I don't know, because like like you're saying, it's interesting because like maybe the limited um, contact with an actor like that will actually help. And and maybe there won't be that many people that have to, um, you know, put the entire production on pause for that long. So maybe like, um, you know, a, a second unit or something can like get started doing other things or like you know, yeah. d- other people who weren't like in direct contact with him or, or on the same exact, you know, physical set with him or something could get things back up and running again soon. But like I said, it's been a week and I, I don't think the production has resumed yet. So maybe they'll just uh, play it safe and, and go for another week and then, um, you know, hopefully get back to work after that. So I guess we'll, we'll keep you posted if we hear anything else, any updates on uh, Pattinson's health, but um, certainly wish him the best. Yeah. And it's not a movie where like, I mean, he's a guy in a bat costume. So if, if need be, they could have a stunt double right. run around in a Batmobile or something, right? right. Like, yeah. so, I think yeah. they already did some of that with like motorcycle yeah. work early on in the production too. Yeah. Okay. We have uh, one final story for you today. We we have this this uh, disagreement between Warner Brothers and Ray Fisher. Ray Fisher has been saying that. Uh, actually, Ben, I'm going to have you <laughs> explain this because this is a complex situation, and I don't want to get any of it wrong. Yeah, it's super complex. Um, I, I encourage people to read the article because it lays everything out beat by beat. But in, in the gist of it is that uh, over this past summer, Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg in Justice League, which came out in 2017, has basically spent the summer bringing forth these allegations that there was a toxic and abusive work environment on the set of the movie. And he specifically called out Joss Whedon, who stepped in to direct the reshoots of the movie after Zack Snyder left. Uh, and producers Jeff Johns and John Berg. So um, he's been, you know, sort of like putting these little morsels out onto social media, talking about how this was an unprofessional, uh, you know, an unprofessional set. There were abuses of power, and like 
we talked about this, you know, on, on a recent episode of the podcast, it's tough to really grapple with the story because the the language that's being used is so vague and we don't really know exactly what he's alleging. And uh, Warner Media, the, the parent company of Warner Brothers, actually launched a third-party investigation into the movie and, and these allegations. Um, so late on Friday night, just a, a few days ago, Warner Brothers released a statement that basically accused Ray Fisher of not cooperating with the investigation that Ray Fisher himself sort of like inspired and like, like spurned on to happen, uh, spurred on to happen. Um, and so you can read their entire statement, but it, it basically is is like in so many words, like calling Ray Fisher a liar, like just saying like, you know, Ray Fisher has not met with the investigator that, that, you know, we have uh, provided. And, um, you know, if, if Ray Fisher provides any specific incredible allegations of misconduct, we'll, we'll investigate those, but he hasn't done that yet, that kind of thing. So Ray Fisher uh, has, has responded to all of this and basically provided receipts proving that Warner Brothers either doesn't know what they're talking about or was mistaken in this particular instance because he has screenshots of emails that he's sent to uh, his you know, uh, representation team and SAG-AFTRA, the, the union, talking about how he spoke with the investigator uh, who Warner Brothers says that he never spoke with and that Ray Fisher is just trying to do his due diligence and make sure that this investigator is actually a an unbiased third party <laughs> person who isn't who hasn't been hired by Warner Brothers and in, is in fact a Warner Media um, person or, or you know somebody who's been hired by Warner Media because Warner Brothers is the the movie studio and he doesn't want there to be any sort of conflicts of interest in terms of the the investigation he wants everything to be sort of on the up and up so on Labor Day Ray Fisher posted this 15 minute long Instagram live video where he goes beat by beat through like everything that's happened and I transcribed a ton of it for the, this article so I encourage you to go and, and read all that there's no way we have time for me to read <laughs> all of this stuff and I, I won't even try but he basically blames Walter Hamato, who's the, the DC films chief, um, and, and sort of accuses him of trying to cover up for Jeff Johns, who is a, one of the producers on Justice League and, and one of DC's big comic book uh, writers, and saying like that Jeff Johns is, is continuing to work with Warner Brothers. So Walter Hamada, the, the head of DC films, is trying to basically like protect this guy. And uh, Ray Fisher is having none of it. So um, there's some specific uh, like allegations in here. Um, he basically says that Jeff Johns has sort of like been taunting him. Like th there was a moment a year and a half after Justice League where uh, Fisher says that Jeff Johns used back channel communications to gloat that there would be another cyborg being used in the DC universe in a show that Johns was producing um, and that he, you know, made veiled threats to Ray Fisher's career. So um, yeah, the, basically he, in this long Instagram live video, he just lays out his plan. Like he says, I'm going to keep fighting the good fight. I'm going to fight it with hard fact. I'm going to fight it with, I'm not going to fight it with emotion. Like they're probably wanting me to do. I'm going to fight it with hard fact. So he, he talks about, you know, he's not going to start speaking in, um, you know, in specific terms about what happened and what he's alleging on the set, because that is the power that he has in this moment is, is, you know, he hasn't revealed all of that stuff to, uh, you know, these people at Warner brothers right now. So he's, he's trying to keep this fight going. So, um, Man, it, it's a it's a complicated situation, and again, we don't have like enough information to really be able to like uh, truly judge this, um, you know, <laughs> in a sort of unbiased way ourselves. Um, but I, I certainly hope all this gets uh, straightened out quickly, so we can figure out what the hell is going on here. I, I just wish that there would be some kind of like not broad. 
I, I want to hear some of these allegations. Like, I know there's a reason why he's not saying them publicly because then you're showing your cards. Uh, like, I don't know. And it also seems stupid to me that like Warner Brothers wouldn't hire an outside investigator for this. Like, it seems like that would be company policy for any kind of investigation would be to have some third party do it. Yeah, so. you would think so. My understanding of the timeline is that there was a Warner Brothers uh, investigation, but then they like I think Ray Fisher wanted a third party one. So then they had to they had to sort of kick it up to that level as well. And now that the studio is is basically like trashing Ray Fisher publicly, that's I mean, it's not a good look for for them to like drag themselves. They could they could very easily have just like kept quiet about this. So I'm not sure why they would release this statement on Friday night saying like, ah, he hasn't spoken to the investigators when Ray Fisher is like, I mean, one of my favorite quotes from him, and maybe we can end with this, is just him saying, uh, they tested the, uh, this is Ray Fisher talking about Warner Brothers, they tested the waters with that statement, and I think people saw through it immediately. It backfired on them in a big way, because when I can furnish receipts uh, receipts to immediately refute critical pieces of information that you're trying to use to defame me, you're toast. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, he has a good point there, and uh, it seems like if Warner Brothers is going to be making statements like this, they should probably try to um, you know, make sure they're correct before throwing them out there, so... Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Again, complicated, uh, but hopefully we'll get some answers soon. Yeah, uh, we got to go because Chris has to do an interview, but I do want to mention briefly a story that broke just now as we were talking. It seems like uh, Warner Brothers is gearing to move Wonder Woman 1984 back again out of its current October 2nd release date, possibly to November or late December. That might bump Dune to 2021. So... <laughs> So it seems like uh, the except for Tenant and and Mulan, uh, the twenty twenty movie season has basically been canceled. So there you have it. Okay. Anyways, uh, you can find more of all the stories we mentioned on today's show on slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. You can send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you on Friday. <laughs>